0: We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5. We will end our, our study in uh, 1 Peter this morning. Uh, really been a blessing to me, I hope to you as well. Let's pray our Father and our God as we end this incredible epistle. We pray your blessing. We want to finish well. And um, there's a lot more left here, even though it's the last chapter. Last doesn't you know necessarily mean you know, an epilogue or, or lack that we should not be paying attention. I mean, there's a lot of things here this morning, Father, and we pray your blessing that we would understand and get them and receive the things you would have for us this morning. Bless this, your word, in Jesus' name, amen. First Peter 5, the elders which are among you I exhort, whom also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Several things here. Okay, he's going to address the elders. Now, everyone who's not an elder just checked out. Please don't. Come on back. Uh, if you're a man, you're an elder of your own house. You say, well, I'm, I'm the wife. I'm the, I'm the mom. Well, you're an elder, a de facto elder to your children. And I think there's an eldership that like, men have, that women have in this sphere of influence you're, you're a Facebook elder. You're one of the voices of reason in the cacophony of noise. Of, uh, there's a lot of blatherscape. There's a lot of just stuff that isn't worthy to be talked about. And here you bring reason and you bring a gospel perspective. I think that makes you a, a de facto elder. So I, I want to involve you and I want to also talk to the elders. The elders which are among you, I exhort, whom also an elder. He didn't have to say that. Here he's saying, you know, these ideas of popery and things of this nature, forget about it. I'm an elder. And he has every opportunity here to tell us exactly. I'm the, you know, the first bishop of Rome. I'm the Pontifex Maximus. Here, I'm an elder. And the word means, and we kind of bring it in from the, transport the idea from Jewish elders, and it means older. And I think older, the idea of maturity, not necessarily older. What are you, Adam, are you saying you're a, a spring chicken? I'm not. I was an elder when I was a, a young man. I was in my early 30s. Uh, that was a long time ago. But we can make elders. Uh, we can God makes elders. We can recognize elders. God doing a work in a person's life, even a, a very young life. And I have nothing against youth. I'm a big proponent of uh, youth serving the Lord your whole life. Don't wait till you're older. The elders which are among you, I exhort. I'm exhorting you. I'm, I'm, I'm beseeching you. I'm begging you, uh, who, who am also an elder. And he's also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Was he there at the crucifixion? We know that John was. Of the disciples, they ran away. Did they reassemble at the foot of the cross? Did he see his suffering to that, it, to that extent? Well, we don't exactly know but he witnessed Christ's suffering regardless if he was at the actual crucifixion or not. And he's also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He got a taste of that at the Mount of Transfiguration. But he knows that because of the promises of Jesus, after we close our eyes in this life, it's glory time. Now here's the exhortation. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Now let's dissect this. His, Because I'm an elder, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm begging you to do. This is what I'm exhorting you to do. Feed the flock of God. It's not your flock. It's God's flock. Uh, what about, uh, again, I'm just a dad. Oh, You're an elder of uh, your whole house. Uh, maybe you're an elder at work. Maybe you're an elder at uh, whatever club you belong to or whatever bowling team, or you're an elder there. You bring your eldership with you at wherever you go. Mom, you're an elder to your children, to your uh, little women's group of... You say, well, you can't be an elder to men. Well, I said, you're on Facebook. You know, we can read your posts or not. You can bring eldership everywhere you go. And what the eldership looks like is feeding the flock of God, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. And I wish a lot of people read this. say, Adam, don't you uh, derive your uh, pay from this church. I do not. I do get a stipend, uh, a housing allowance. I just want to visit here. I don't want to go out of my way to say this. Well, actually, I do want to go out of my way. I don't. This church doesn't support me, and I've always kind of bragged about that in the sense that it's not about filthy lucre, it never was. Uh, I, I, this church hasn't made me wealthy, and if indeed I'm wealthy and I'm not. I, I mean, you can't brag, well, you know, Adam's where Adam is because of the giving of this church. It was never about that. I knew verses like this before I ever accepted uh, a, a pastor position. Now, if people are living off the blessings of God, that's great. I wish I could. I wish I did. Uh, I'm not saying people shouldn't. Uh, My pastor, other pastors I know, they work very, very hard. To which I would say, you know, if you look at the hours that they're putting in, they're probably not even getting minimum wage. If If you divide all the hours to go into ministry, and if you were paying them, you know, you took their salary and you paid on an hourly basis, they're probably... Nobody's getting rich except the people who are getting rich. And the people who are getting rich, they have, they're nationally known. They um charge a lot for their services. They have people giving, sending money. Uh and many of these have jets and uh and, and all kinds of uh wealth that I think is I think is filthy, uh filthy lucre. They say, Well I got a worldwide church, so my my church, my my level of influence is way up here. My uh, level of blessing, re, re, physical, my financial remuneration should be way up here. I don't think so. I think uh, any pastor should live about the means of the of the. You, you take, you know, if you're in a wealthy suburb of Washington DC, and that's where you're ministering, and and there's congressmen and staffers and, and and people, lawyers and doctors and stuff like that, and they all drive to church in their beamers and their Mercedes and, and you come up in a late model Ford Fiesta or something. I don't think that speaks well of the church. But if you go to a church and it's you know old beat up pickup trucks and you know late model vehicles and it's a very poor community and you drive up in your Lexus, I don't think that speaks well of the of the church either. I think, you know, a pastor lives about the means of the church, about, you know, and, and I think that's how it's supposed to work. And you're not doing this to get rich. You don't, you don't enter the ministry to, because it's, it can be very, very lucrative. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but instead you, want to, you don't want to lord it over people. Rather, you want to be an example to the flock. Why? Because when the chief shepherd shall appear, and that's Jesus Christ, and it's obviously Jesus Christ, when the chief je- shepherd, the shepherd of shepherds, when when the one who you're supposed to be modeling at your ministry after, when he shows up, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Um, I, I, I told you before, we've talked about this at length, I'm not a crown guy. I never wear one. I would think it would be very ostentatious and it wouldn't really reflect who I am or what I'm all about. And so, you know, we don't get excited about crowns here in America very often, but when we're casting our crowns before the Lamb saying, Thou art worthy, and if our crown is a symbol for our mechanism, for our ability to worship the Lamb eternally, suddenly I'm all about crowns. And as far as me, I, I don't want to receive a reward. As my, I mean, if God wants to reward, me, that's His business. But to me, it's the reward I'm actually seeking is the well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Uh, a pat on the back and affirmation. We all need affirmation. Is as, as much as I dare to hope. Uh, but I, I, I do want to do well, and I do want to you know finish well. I do want to you will set a good example. I do want to teach the Word of God as it is the Word of God. And I want to minister to people. I want to make a difference in people's lives. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Now here's the way the Bible sets it up. Um, I want you all to submit one to another. Wives to your husbands in... um, like Ephesians chapter 5. But there's always this mutual submission. You see it in Peter, where to have this uh, at the beginning, back in chapter 2, was supposed to have this mind of Christ. Now he goes and he talks to the wives. This is the mind of Christ, how you do this. And men, this is how. The, the mind of Christ. How you do this? Everyone's submitting one to another because nobody's over e- in the sense of like all men are created equal, but we have different roles and responsibilities here. Okay, elders, you're to rule, but and everyone's supposed to submit themselves to you. But yea, all of you be subject one to another. So there's a there's a. Because I don't care if someone comes in off the street and they're a total reprobate. Can they speak truth into my life? Can they rebuke me? Well, the the, the the short answer is yes. It it has happened. It doesn't happen very often where somebody is able to speak into my life who doesn't know God or hardly knows God. Um, why does God do that? To show us that we need to be humble. We need to remain at a, pers- a place where we're listening. We're not above the message that we're giving. Um, and so there's a submission one to another and a kind of uh, uh, a, a very democratic, a very, you know, anyone can, speaking on the word of God, can speak into our lives. Uh, I was talking to a friend here earlier this week and he had, you know, texted me and, you know, had said some things and he said, oh, I apologize. You know, I, you got a lot on your plate. You don't need my two cents. I said, no, no, no. Everyone has a right to. And it wasn't anything that he, that he should have been. He didn't, he didn't call me names and said, I'm sorry I called you an idiot. He, nothing like that, okay? He was just you know, giving his two cents about the virus and you know, what the church ought to be. At the time. And I'm like, hey, hey, no apologies, everyone. We, I like the discussion. We, your church, your, you have uh, something. And I kind of feel like I have to be submissive to everybody's input. Now, do I have to act on everyone's input? Well, I couldn't. Because I would be acting in different directions all the time. I mean, we can't... So who am I actually subject to? God. And then I'm subject to the elders over me. Or the group of elders. And I put myself under them. So we have this board meeting. And we're talking. And every week we're, during the virus, we're, we're meeting and praying on Zoom. And we discuss what... And then it doesn't always... I don't always get my way. As a matter of fact, I go out of my way not to get my way. So I... I know I'm being submissive. I know I'm being humble. I let everyone talk and everyone have their say and everyone make a determination and then I submit to what they're determining to do. And I don't want to come in heavy-headed and say, well, oh, this is what I God told me. and Because then everyone's going to line up under what I say generally. And I don't want that because then I get my way and it might not be God's way. I'm very... Um, thoughtful of submission all the time and I think you' are good and godly men you pray and God speaks to your heart and let's do what the consensus what the group uh, thinks and then if I line up under that I can I can at least say may, maybe I'm right maybe I'm wrong I think I'm right because I think the guys are godly and good but then I can at least say well I was submissive but if I if I'm strong-willed and arrogant and I fight to get my way. I, I think these these are the verses in the back of my mind that I'm listening to to try to be the man of God I feel like God wants me to be. Anyway, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another. Be clothed with humility. What's the humility all about? I don't know that I'm right. I don't have to have my way because my way might be the wrong way. Is my way God's way? Well, then if I got verses, I'll share you my verses, okay? But, you know, when uh, the governor says, well, you're not going to meet in church, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. The First Amendment says this. but What does the Bible say? The Bible says we are to obey God, not men. And then where does that actually, how does that actually work itself out? In which situation and how? Well, that's what? We have to meet. And that's what we have to pray about, and that's what we have to decide. And that's why I submit myself to the elders. We're all we're all men of God. We all pray. God speaks to us. But I want to be clothed with humility. I want to be now. Humility is a really tough thing because as soon as you think you're humble, guess what? You're not. Um, and me and Sue's uh, least recently. Uh, uh, read through, uh, well, we listened to on LibriVox, and it was a really good recording of, uh, David Copperfield. And the Uriah Heep character is this writhing scoundrel who's always brags up how humble, how, how much humility he has. You know, me and, and with that cockney kind of accent going, how humble he is, and stuff like this. And he's anything but, and we have to laugh at the character. And he's really a scoundrel. And at the end, he gets his comeuppance, and you all like that, because, you know, uh, uh, the end of uh, any Dickens novel, the the good guys win and the bad guys, you know, have ruin visited upon them, and that's always a good thing. But he's talking about how humble he is, how humble he is, how have humble origins, and how you know being so humble, and every sentence says talks about his humility, and of course he's anything but that. And I don't want to ever be that. I don't want to be a caricature of this really self-effacing. Oh, I'm so humble, but. We can say that through the grace of God, I'm pursuing humility. And I think we can say that, and I think that will the straight face test will you can measure it against that. And I think we can say that. And why do we want to be so humble anyway? For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, only every time. Humble yourselves because God's like that. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. It's not humble to worry. It's humble to cast our care upon him. Humbles, uh, uh, worry says I can worry my way out of this situation if I fret enough, if I think enough, if I, if I expend enough energy getting concerning myself with this situation that's going sideways. You know, if we just humbled ourselves, so much of our prayers would be answered already. Um, instead of me praying for my promotion at work, for my everyone to see my exalted position and how great I am and how much I'm an asset to the team, if I was humble, I wouldn't be praying for such things, and I'd already be in the position I wanted to be. We pray for wealth, and God says, No, you really need to be happy with what I've blessed you with. And humility says, Lord God, you've given me more than I deserve anyway. And then we're content with what God has given us. And it's that pride, it's that arrogant that reaches for more. Now certainly it's okay to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We want God to bless us. That's, that's absolutely fine. But when we think we're in a position where we deserve, and then we're disappointed when God doesn't give us what we want. What is that? That's not humility. That's That's God, I deserve this. I have these expectations that you're going to bless me with these mighty things that I deserve. And if you don't deserve them, hasn't he already blessed you? A lot of our prayers are already answered with our humble spirit. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What happens? He'll exalt you when it's right in due season. Then we cast all our care on him. We don't worry and we don't fret. We have faith, not fear. Those are antithetical one to another. And that fretful spirit is born of, and it's not not intuitive. We might not see the connection. That's born of pride. But that humbleness, Lord, I can't fix this. I can't handle this. I can't do this. You can do this. And why would we do this? Because he cares for you. He's one in a position to help. He has all the power to help. I well, want you to think about that for a second. We don't coerce God. We don't twist his arm. We don't try to manipulate him. We just simply, Lord, this is the situation. Can he handle it? Yes. Will he handle it? Well, he cares for you. And I just would suggest again, he cares for you more than you care for you. Be sober minded. Be sober. Lack of alcohol—that goes without saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying sobriety, level, clear-headed thinking. You got to be careful about this. You got to be sober-minded. You got to be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Some people say he's a roaring lion, he's not a ravening lion, all he's got is bark is worse than his bite. No, he's seeking whom he may devour. He is steal, kill, and destroy guy. So now we got to get all nerved up about that? No, we cast our care upon God, for he cares for us, even um, as far as Satan goes. We're still still humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, but that humility looks like resistance to the adversary, whom resists steadfast. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to destroy your wealth. He wants to destroy your happiness. He wants to destroy your Christian testimony. He wants to steal your joy. Anything that's godly and good and will... Uh, result in the kingdom of God becoming God becoming more famous. He's against that. And when we say, you know, and he, and by the way, he's he the reason he's he's walking about is because he's not omnipresent. But we all understand what Peter's saying. I've probably never experienced actually Satan in my life. He's I think he's got bigger fish to fry, and he can't be everywhere. But. When we talk about him, his dominion, his, his, the people who are on his team, the, the beings, the, the fallen angels, the demons that are on his team, we have, we've been uh, influenced by them, uh, influenced by them to a very large degree. Do you see the politics that are happening around us? Do you see the demonic influence? If you don't, you're very, 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 and let, let me just say this, very blind. Hear me now. The whole world lies in the lap, is asleep in the lap of the wicked one. Uh, in First John, and we'll get there, the whole world, uh, it says, uh, is lying in wickedness. Literally, the whole world is asleep, and you are, if you don't perceive this is happening. The whole world is asleep in the lap of the, the wicked one. And it's reflective on the news that I, it's, that Satan report every day. Why would you watch that? And the politics, the zeitgeist. You say zeitgeist. That's just what's that? New age? No, no. It just means the spirit of the age. And there's always been zeitgeist. Um, The 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 spirit of the age isn't the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's not the Holy Spirit. This worldly spirit is is he's it's it's a devouring spirit, and it's a it's a steal, kill, and destroy spirit. And I I have scripture. This isn't me with my tinfoil hat talking about some wild conspiracy uh, theory. Uh, you know, the President Trump was down in the basement of his, uh, of the, of the White House and he had this big vat of, uh, corona and he was, you know, stirring it up with a big wooden paddle and he got it aboard these jet fighters and they dispersed it all over the world in an aerosol form and it fell down because he's trying to depop. This isn't that. This isn't that. The whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. How come you don't know that? That's Scripture. That's the Bible. How come you don't understand this? And because of that, we're called on to be sober, and we're called on to have a certain amount of vigilance. So humble doesn't mean unvigilant. It means, no, because if we're humble, we understand, I can't do this, uh, but God's given me a prescription to stand against snakes and scorpions and to tread on them and to stand against a lion he's trying to devour me he's trying to devour my testimony i haven't got time for sin i haven't got time for i don't that's that's satan doing his work in my life i can't i can't if i'm going to be following the lord if i'm submitting myself to god satan's out of the equation and i'm resisting him steadfast in faith in fear no we're not, there's not one scripture ever calls up on us to fear Satan. If you fear God, like scripture asks you to, you don't fear Satan. Instead of that, you resist Satan, Satan, and in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions accomplished in your brethren that are, are in the world. So what is this? Uh, misery loves company? Yeah, I mean everyone undergoes this everyone has to learn how to stand against the adversary everyone has to learn every man every husband has to learn how to take control take dominion of his household and sanctify it to the glory of God against Satan and be bold be be a, a man of God put some some starch in your spine or is this that that's that's humble too Humble doesn't mean weak. It means we're submitting to God. And if you think on your own power you're going to be able to um, defeat this cherub, right? He's a cherub. You think you're going to be able to defeat him in your own power, in your own wit and wisdom, in your own cleverness. I No. But we resist. We still stand steadfast, but it's in faith. Everyone has to go through this. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. I agree, hundred percent. It's a wonderful prayer. Thank you, Peter, for calling God's blessing, the God of all grace, and He's. he's this is the benediction. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Okay, after you have suffered a while, oh, why'd you put that in there? Because that's that's the way it is. That's the whole 1 Peter, suffering. It's, 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 it's there. It's, it's what's prescribed. It's what makes us men and women of God. It's a fallen world. There's a lot of reasons why we suffer. But we suffer together with the, with the brothers, the worldwide church. We suffer with Jesus Christ where it puts to death the flesh it calls us to, it counsels us to call on him we understand that the 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 end of our flesh isn't it's near at hand we we don't have depths and might and power in the flesh all our power is a drive power from the omnipotent one and suffering is what is it's scheduled it's it's it redounds to his glory. And that's what Paul, uh, Paul that's what Peter says here. Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But, Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying, this is true. Grace of God. Uh, uh, Exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, where you stand. Now, at the end of this, he's going to wind up and say a few words. And here's what you want to know, Silvanus, And this is um, probably the same Silas that uh, you know, Paul and Silas. This is probably that one. You know, he's at, at this time he's with he's with Peter. He's a faithful brother, and he's saying, Hey, you know. Kind of, Silas says hi, is the idea. Uh, wr- written briefly, yeah, five chapters. I'm guessing that in his writing, if somebody <laughs> wrote this out longhand and put it in an envelope and <laughs> sent it to me, I'd, it'd be a big envelope, and I'd say, wow, that's that's incredible. Um, sh- written briefly, that's kind of a, a uh, what's the word, of. Uh, I guess it you know it depends because I mean you know you see some of these uh, missives in the New Testament, you know, the letter of uh, Hebrews or Romans and First Corinthians or second. they're going for quite a few chapters. here, it's five chapters. I've written briefly, but it packs a punch. There's a lot of stuff here exhorting and testifying, this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. So the grace of God, because you know, I just want to talk about this here briefly, and I was thinking about this and I was reading about this. look, this grace of God. You stand in it. Because we think of grace, it's like, um, oh, I messed up, I need God's grace. Well, there is the grace of God that is in mercy. That's a grace. And we appreciate that so much because, guess what, we do mess up. But here, it's the grace of God where we stand. And what are we talking about standing here? We're talking about standing in suffering. After that, you have suffered a while. What happens in a situation of suffering? Well, you want to stand. Um, Satan is like a—he's like a roaring lion, seeking about, seeking whom he may devour. Well, what do you want to do in a situation like that? Well, let me tell you—you you want to stand. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. What does humility look like? Well, sometimes it looks like getting on your face before God. And sometimes it looks like standing, and whatever the occasion stand in humility submissiveness is that standing yeah um, all these things it's it's we need the grace of God and it looks like standing the church that is in Babylon elected together with you saluteth you as and so doth Marcus my son now a lot of people think that he's in Babylon in modern-day Iraq. Could he be? Yeah, they still had a thriving community there. They had a a local uh, Jewish assembly that had been left over from the days of um, Esther and that whole time there. Uh, Could he have been at Babylon? Yeah, yeah. Um, Some people think he's using it symbolically for either Rome or Jerusalem, two cities that are both known for their great wickedness. You say, "I see how Rome would be known for its great wickedness, but what about Jerusalem? All religious centers are always known for the great wickedness. Figure it out." Uh, is he speaking um, there and talking about something euphemistically? I don't know. I don't know. It's a real church. Is there a real church at Rome? Yeah. Is there a real church at Jerusalem? (laughs) That's where the church started. I mean, you know your history, if you know Acts chapter 2. So it could be any of those places to help us to know. You know, there's a new teaching, you know, well, Babylon is mystery Babylon, and as given to us in the 18th and 19th chapter of the book of the Revelation, and it's destroyed. And, uh, you know, some people have said my whole life that, you know, mystery Babylon is America. Uh, Some have thought, you know, some uh, Muslim country, Saudi Arabia comes up. Um, You know, some people, uh, there's always these different scenarios. You know, during the Cold War, you know, Babylon was, you know, Russia or, you know, some imperial... Trying to take over the world, type of dictatorship or something like this. Uh, the, the study of Babylon is a very fascinating one, and I haven't got much to say about it here because it can be very. Uh, but it's it's interesting to me that it's even uh, it, it, here, unless he's literally in Babylon saying, "Hey, you know, greetings from Babylon." Like you know, off in a foreign travel, and you send somebody a postcard, and it's kind of like that. Is this that? I I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know. But I will tell you something else. (laughs) Nobody else knows either, because if you read commentary, they're all over the place. Uh, But I want to talk about Marcus, my son. This is Mark. Uh, It's funny, because we were looking at the rich young ruler Wednesday night, which some people believe is Mark. Um, That boy who's, they grab him at the garden, and he's got just a linen sheet on, and they grab it, and he flees away naked. Some people want to make that mark. Uh, we in the new testament in the book of acts you know is a, a prayer meeting in, in john mark's house and the, and they want to make that the mark and probably it is by the way of that one who ends up with peter uh, he um uh he calls marcus his son and there is probably like a a sonship, uh, uh, you know, he's an old man. Mark's a younger man. There's probably a generational difference there, and he feels very paternal towards Mark. Um, I don't know if Mark's a rich young ruler. I, I don't know if he's the one who was fleet uh, away naked when Jesus was arrested. I don't know that. I know that he ends up with Peter, and, I, and he writes the book of Mark as it's thought, and most people think that the book, the gospel of Mark, is the recollections of Peter. It's it's is it's, it's really the Gospel of Peter as written by at the from the hand of Mark, and many people think that. And by the way, while we're on this subject, I think that as well. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with all. Peace be with you, all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Also, greet. Holy kiss, charity uh, is a. Kiss of love. It's obviously holy. You call on to greet one another this way. We don't do this here in America, and I think that's okay with me. If guy's like, you know, kiss me on the cheek and stuff like that, that's fine in other countries. We never really adopt it in America. After the virus all settles down, I wonder if we're going to greet one another with uh, handshakes anymore. You know, Dr. Fauci said that's a thing of the past. We shouldn't be, probably be doing that at all. I don't know. I think God has given us this immunity system, and I think it's probably a good thing to use, take out and use every once in a while. Sheltering in place, I think, is, you know, waiting for the virus to die down. It's going to be here every year. I mean, some flu- influenza, some strain emerges and... Uh, and I think God has given us this wonderful immunity system. So you get the shot every year, the flu shot. Well, you know if that's what you think you ought to do. I'm I'm not a doctor, and I don't dispense uh, you know medical advice. Um, we were talking about that funny on the way down here today. Uh, I was asking my son, "Do you get the flu shot?" Me and Su's never do. It usually makes us sick, and then we catch a flu anyway that wasn't the strain that we got inoculated with, and I rarely, rarely ever have flu. It seems like once every five or six years I get flu for, I don't know, three or four or five days, and then I'm over it and I go on with my life. And it seems like the inoculation has little or nothing to do with it, so a long time ago we stopped getting it. Um, and it just seems like flu season comes all the time, and I always shake hands. You know, I tell you what, don't shake hands and scratch your eye or pick your nose or put your fingers in your mouth or something like that you'll probably be fine and, and i think hand sanitizer is a good idea again i'm not a this is free i'm not even charging for this. this isn't medical advice It's kind of common sense um you know so they tell us you know because of the virus you know stay six feet apart and it's the droplets and they drop in about three feet and you know you're supposed to wash your uh, that's why the six feet, because there's always a safety factor built in, and then like, you know, they want you to wash your hands for 10 seconds using soap, uh, and so, because, of the, again, safety factor, and now they say 20, and I've heard 30, and I've heard 40, because there's always more is better, you know, kind of ideas, and that's fine, that's fine, you know, I just, I get, you know, hand soap, and I, I've always washed my hands, I'm a hand washer from way back, and um, now, not my whole adult life, but, I don't know, last, twenty, thirty years. I don't I don't even remember, but and, and that, you know, hand saying good stuff and I just goop it all on and stuff like this. But I think God has given us a wonderful immune system. So go ahead and kiss each other. What no, I don't guess we don't do that here. But this verse doesn't it means something. I think we're supposed to greet one another and I think that's the key. Um I think was supposed to let people know because I, you know, I walked into church before and walked out. nobody's even said boo, and I think that's not a good situation, right? Sue goes out of her way and when she sees somebody new to go and say hey and stuff like this. I try not to. I try not to for this reason because people I think expect the pastor to, and it, I don't think it means as much as if it's. If it's coming from you if you're saying Sue's always wants so you know this coffee here the bathrooms over here I think this is a kiss of peace I think this is a greeting I think this is an acknowledgement I think this fits the spirit of this passage with whether perhaps not the letter so if you know someone comes in and you know you're kiss them on both cheeks, so that was Sue's new job. We give her, she's the greeter and she gets to kiss everybody and stuff like this. P- probably people would think it's more weird or something than anything else. I don't, and so if you run around kissing people, they're just going to think we're a weird church, but I think we do need to greet one another. I think, I think we need to acknowledge one another. I think we need to, uh, God forbid that there's people come here and have been here a while and you don't know about them. Now, there's kind of a right and a good way to do this and then there's a way that's kind of like cultish and overblown, but I'd rather be overblown than not do it at all. I'd rather just acknowledge people, let them know that, hey, we care about you. Come to visit here, you're visiting from, you know, you're seeing your mom, you're on vacation, hey, we're well, welcome, you know, welcome. We're glad you're here today. Uh, and then, of course, you want to tell them about, you know, the bathroom's here, the coffee's here. It, uh, you know, they've got children, they need to know about the nursery or where they're going to drop their kids off at that part of the service when we're having kid shirts, etc., etc. So, I don't know, hearty handshake. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hugging going on. I don't have anything to say about that yay or nay. It's kind of the way it is. I don't walk around hugging people, generally male or female. I kind of wait a lot of times for them to, uh, some people are going to be huggers and they're not going to be denied, and that's the way it is. I don't want to be seen as, you know, initiating hugs or things like that, and a lot of times it's that little side hug thing that we do, and that's that's wonderful. But the point I'm trying to say, and I don't want to make this all about that, is greet one another, let people know you're glad to see them, that you care about them. This is charity. It's the kiss of charity of love. Uh, do you love people? Do you love strangers? Do you love fellow? Human beings who are made in the image of God do you want to see them in the kingdom? Do you want to see anybody go to hell? Uh, do you just hey I regard you fellow traveler you've uh, we're both going the same direction we could walk together that's a good idea maybe and just let people know you care. Uh, I've always said you know and I, it's not original with me people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And if you care about one another, this is this is one of our crowning. People know where the legit, where the real deal, the love you have one for another. Let's pray. Okay, Father, we just uh, we've finished the book, and we've enjoyed we've enjoyed it. Um, we want to be a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. I don't know about. We want to partake in the suffering, but we understand that is part of it too. Whatever you have for us, help us to do it well for the glory of God. Help us to be the men, the women you've called us to be. Be glorified in our life. Be glorified in our teaching. Be glorified in our fellowship, one to another. Be glorified in our uh, kiss of charity. And would we again just thank and praise you for being a good and a gracious God worthy of all our worship. Bless this your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace and peace.